Yeah, we're back. We're live. View from the North today. I'm Jay Fidel. This is Think Tech. Our guest is Ken Rogers. And in a moment, we're going to know more about him. Ken is a business guy. Uh, Ken attended NYU Stern School of Business, uh, which he and I went to see uh, six months ago in New York. And it was quite uh, a time. And it was called GBA, Graduate Business uh, Administration, was it? Back back when, when we knew each other in New York. Welcome to the show, Ken. Hello, Jay. <clears throat> so um, let me let me start by saying, you know, you and I have both followed the world. I mean, we've lived in the world now since, uh, you know, we... Many moons. <laughs> many, many moons. I won't go into the details, but it was actually in the 60s. And um, in the 60s, there were not newspaper headlines uh, about uh, affordable housing and homelessness. And somewhere along the line, it all changed. And now you see problems and headlines about affordable housing every day. You see every legislative governmental body trying to solve that problem and unsuccessfully uh, in so many places. And you see homelessness on the streets um, pretty much everywhere. Uh, so if you look at it from the, from the views of a, an economist, which you are, um, what, you know, what do you see happened here? How come, what, what, was the, what was the evolution of our global economy so as to uh, have all these people on the street? Well, an awful lot of it relates to government policies worldwide, particularly um, all of the governments of the world tend to run the net mega-sized deficits. In order to finance the deficits, all of the central banks have to increase the money supply for the amount that the government is spending. But in addition, it's become government policy, particularly since um, uh, Japan had a period of deflation, and everybody thought that was somewhere between leprosy and the plague. And uh, you know, I don't agree. However, the world reaction was pretty simple, is just print more money. You know, the Federal Reserve um, certainly has led the way in, uh, in having very easy money, but every country like Canada is no different. Um, you know, our government spends uh, money they don't have. Uh, they don't worry about it because, um, you know, the last 25 years have shown they can just keep having deficit every year. Nobody cares. And uh, and that the central banks uh, set this target of 2% uh, inflation. Well, if you just take the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, um, certainly since the 2008 crisis, the abundance of cash in the market, let's just call it uh, central banks printing money. Where did all that money go? You know, now it it did filter throughout the economy and have an effect everywhere. However, the the major difference was that it it went to those people who had capital. You know, and what did they do with, you know, they had some capital, what did they do with it? Well, 
you really have two very, really obvious places. Um, it went into housing and it went into the stock market. Uh, you know, that you're sitting where uh, the um, increase in stocks has been very phenomenal. But thank you, Federal Reserve. You know, it's not because uh, somebody was a brilliant picker of stocks. It was really you take you could buy anything, and and it would go up. I mean, even General Motors has you know been a laggard. Uh, your let's call it the big oil, the big automobile companies have been laggards behind you know the Koreans, the Japanese, even the Europeans, and and yet nevertheless their stocks have gone up over the years. That anybody that had a bunch of capital. Uh, they accumulated an awful lot more. But, you know, the biggest um, thing for the public at large was that everybody that owned a house uh, became a financial genius because it went up in value. You know, if you owned, a, you know, a condo um, when you came out of college back, uh, you know, whether it was 1970 or 80 or even early 90s, you know, and, and you could squeak into a small condo. It didn't take very long before you could sell that condo at a sizable profit. You know, and that gave you the equity to step up to the next level. You bought a bigger condo or you could buy a, a small single family home. Well, you always had, uh, you know, the Canadian dream or the American dream was to own a a house in the suburb with a with a lawn and you could raise your kids in a nice neighborhood where all of the houses near you were similar to yours. There was homogeneity in the neighborhood and you had a school that every all the kids could walk to. You had uh, not too far away, you had some recreation center and uh, <clears throat> life was a dream. If you if you took, you know, most cities in in the western US or the west in and most in Canada almost everywhere um you know and I I think of cities like Salt Lake City or Seattle or Phoenix or uh that uh Denver uh you know the way of life is a nice single family home in the suburb you know, those cities are really spread out. Uh, you know, in Canada, you got Calgary, Alberta's probably got an area that's uh, close to the size of London, England. You know, just in area. But there's not very many people live in an apartment. You know, the you know, the uh, there are apartments, but they're virtually all rental. There's not as many condos as there are somewhere now. Uh, so you get your housing crisis is really um, <clears throat> it's not a crisis for anybody that's a baby boomer that's because they're sitting on this upgrade in housing and they're house rich. Uh, it's really anybody trying to get into the market, you know, and, and you've got to start off with, you know, the rentals, you know, what's the matter? Why do we have, allegedly an inadequate number of rentals. Well, there's a difference depending where you live. For example, most cities in Canada, such a, you know, large city like Calgary or Edmonton, you know, they're a million and a half 
people uh, or, uh, you know, a fast growing smaller city like the one I live in, Kelowna in British Columbia, if you have minimum wage of $15 an hour, um, <clears throat> you know, that's a, a just between two and two and a half grand a month. Um, what can you afford? Where can you afford to live? Well, a, a um, you know, 50 to 70 year old apartment building with a one bedroom suite that's about five to 600 square feet. That is pretty skinny, but, a, you know, a pleasant one bedroom, well-kept building, nice, close in neighborhood, you know, but in, in, um, Calgary, Edmonton, or Kelowna, you know, they, they want, you know, $1,500, $1,600 a month for that. So the guy at 15 bucks an hour can't afford it. He would call that a housing crisis. You know, you have to have two people to share that. Well, two people sharing a one-bedroom? Gee, maybe you got upgrade to a two-bedroom. Well, two people have trouble squeaking out a two-bedroom unit in those cities in Canada. If you if you went to cities in the maritime provinces, like in New Brunswick, uh, you know, a very very pleasant, lovely city, uh, Moncton or or Fredericton, you know, they're hundred and fifty thousand people type of scale. You know, you can easily, you know, if you can earn $15 an hour, and I put an if there because the problem with those areas is lack of jobs. Um, you know, you can find accommodation. However, if you then try to say, well, what about Toronto, Montreal, or Vancouver? And, and you'd just be, you know, laughed a, a, out of the room. Because there's no way on earth that, you know, a person with um, $20 an hour job uh, can't, can't, afford my, can't afford anything in Vancouver. You know, just absolutely not a chance. I mean, a, you know, a, a um, oh, two-bedroom condo in anywhere in a reasonably close-in let's call it almost anywhere in metropolitan Vancouver, it costs you like 2500 to 3000 a month. What, uh, what is government doing about that? I mean, it's a, it seems to me it's a, if we can identify it here on ThinkTech, if you can talk about it that way, uh, then government should know and government should you know, consider steps, measures to fix it, alleviate it, um, you know, but what 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 options are available to government, and what has government done for both the federal government and the provincial governments in Canada? Well, the federal government in Canada has done a lot of talking. They they said, "Gee, we have a housing crisis. We're going to allocate a whole bunch of money," and just about like everything this particular government has done, in particular Prime Minister Trudeau, is they talk a lot and do nothing. You know, they talked a lot, said they were going to allocate a huge amount of money to work on the housing crisis, but didn't do anything. Um, you know, you can take a, a different angle of the of the housing crisis and, and your solutions would be day and night different than, 
you know, the example I was using of somebody who has a low paying job, uh, they're at the entry level, they're not married yet, and they're trying to move up the ladder, um, you know, and, and in most cities in Canada, you know, they can they can achieve a certain level. That is, they can certainly pay the rent, but they can't jump to home ownership. Uh, they have great trouble jumping you know, the first step is, can they buy an apartment condo? You know, and and where do they get the down payment? You know, if they're sitting with um, 35 or 40% of what they're earning going into paying rent, they're certainly never going to be able to save enough money for a down payment, again, because of the, um, you know, cash inflation or just the inflation that the governments and central banks have, have put into the economy in which the biggest beneficiaries are the biggest problems where it was most of that money went into housing or stock. Well, if you take the other end of the housing crisis, you've got what the homeless people, now we've talked homeless on, on your category and, and there you're sitting where, what can governments do to solve the housing crisis of the homeless, you know, that is, how do they get them off the street? Well, you you certainly could create um, uh, the equivalent of hospitals or um, housing, you know, uh, institutional type housing for mental problems. And, and a good percentage of the street people have mental problems. Secondly, you've got alcohol and drug treatment and the society does not have adequate provision for treatment and government should invest pretty heavily in in those two things or three things if you take alcohol or or drugs as one problem or or two it doesn't matter which your solutions are somewhat similar you know but the mental illness is another and 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 really um, another aspect of that homeless problem, which uh, we discussed in a previous thing, was was the um, um, legal framework, where in Canada uh, we have a, a very simple catch and release program for an endless number of repeat offenders. You know, they may be, you know, a small petty, you know, petty crime in terms of the court thinking, but, you know, when the same person has committed, you know, breaking a window for a store, you know, then standing there, wait for the police to come so they can get arrested and get, you know, a couple days or maybe a month of uh, free meals in the pokey. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, but that homeless, homelessness problem, you know, really, has very little to do with the cost of housing the same as the person that's working and trying to you know first pay for rent and then upgrade to where they can buy a condo and then hopefully someday dream to own a house in the suburb with the kids in the backyard um, well i mean it looks like it's a it's a crisis from both sides and when i say crisis i mean a crisis to the larger community a crisis to the society, a crisis to the country. Um, and uh, for some reason, um, uh, lawmakers don't don't see that. Uh, maybe since it doesn't reach them personally, 
they say, oh, um, you know, this is a sort of a right-wing approach to it. Uh, it's their fault. If they worked harder and up early in the morning, uh, you know, they find a job. If they put their nose to the grindstone, uh, they wouldn't have this problem. It's all on them. Um, and so legislators, you know, lawmakers don't really take the steps necessary. Um, I mean, what, you know, do you have any thoughts about what motivates their inaction on what is obviously a crisis, an increasing crisis on both ends? Um, the, I would say, you know, lack of enough intelligence to figure out what to do. You know, for example, in um, in Vancouver, which has really got a, a housing price problem. I mean, Vancouver is a pretty compact city. It's got an awful lot of um, apartments or apartment condos and apartment rentals as opposed to single family housing, where most Canadian cities are like Phoenix or Denver or Salt Lake City, where it's predominantly a single family home city. Um, well, uh, you know, the prov province of British Columbia's brilliant solution for housing, their very first item, brand new premier who used to be the minister of housing, was to say that all condominiums could no longer have a provision in their strata title or strata rules that precludes rentals. Now, they backed off saying, well, if it is a seniors only strata, you know, age 55 and over, they can maybe still have rentals or no rentals, you know, but everybody else must have. Well, you know, that, that's, you know, an infringement on the people that own a condo. I mean, if you have a upscale condo, you know, you certainly don't want a couple of, you know, uh, teeny boppers uh, moving in next door having wild parties or something. Um, the, um, <clears throat> however, um, you know, your uh, overall government need to increase the supply of housing, but importantly, how do you get the cost cost of housing down relative to the income of the population. Yeah, you know, how do you do that? You know, you gotta, must be, yeah, go ahead. You got to stop printing money. Um, you know, if, you know, uh, one thing that uh, some people uh, might say is a, is a good thing that may happen in the future. In the past, when we've had technolo technology kicking out a certain type of job. Uh, somewhere else in the economy, there have been other jobs created. Well, there's an awful lot of serious economic thinking now that, you know, part of our, you know, current problems of, of inequality relate to the fact that, that technology is knocking off higher paying jobs than those that are being that are developing because the economy is expanding. That is interesting. Yeah, you know we have a lower level, and and if you look at the accelerating pace of technology, um, and you're going to hit 
major areas. Like if you just say a self-driving vehicle may be the way of life in less than 10 years. Yeah, but that that takes nearly three to four percent of all workers are drivers. You know, you, you take a big swack out. Now, uh, you know, person driving, you know, long haul trucking, you know, those are not, you know, penny pinching jobs. They get they get pretty good pay if you're, you know, driving a you know, a mining vehicle way out in the boonies or, you know, a lumber truck or something, or, you know, th those are pretty good paying jobs. Now, what are they going to be replaced by? You know, you have an awful lot of other jobs that will get replaced by technology that are high paying. And I don't see where there's going to be jobs spring up in the society that are going to be equal to those that are replaced at high paying numbers. You know, you have an area like healthcare where there, you know, there's going to be a phenomenal expansion in, in the number of people employed in healthcare industry, but most of them are not going to be, you know, the MD at a big, at a big income. They're going to be, you know, at lower level healthcare. And, Isn't the um, solution to that to have the government step in and incentivize training of people who lose their jobs um, to technology and train them in technology so that they can, you know, sort of circle back and be involved in the in the tech revolution? I mean, they, they, you know, with training, they can participate, no? And, and, and that way you have innovation at the tech, technology level. And maybe you know it's not a zero sum game. Um, you have you have the whole society moving forward into technology. So the low paying jobs, uh, which aren't available anymore, uh, are in in fact replaced by high paying jobs. Well, I don't I don't see that. Um, <clears throat> I really don't see the um, the jobs that are being replaced uh being at a lower pay than the jobs that are being developed or the ones that come out of the woodwork now there's going to be lots of high paying jobs in the future that don't exist today but the number of those is going to be way 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 less the number of jobs that technology kicks out at the lower end of the pay scale that that's my personal opinion, but um, you know, I believe there's there's lots of basis for that. Um, however, you know, it's really how does it affect the housing crisis, which was really what we were trying to deal with, and what can governments do? Well, you know, re how do you how can the government reduce the cost of housing? Well, I'll tell you one way. This may not apply to Canada. But in Hawaii, uh, we don't have um, housing kits, you know, prefabricated kits, um, because uh, the unions oppose it. Uh, they they don't put as much time into building a house when you import a kit from the Pacific Northwest, you know, and all you have to do is, uh, you know, put it together. 
Um, so they want to see it come up from the ground. They want to see a lot of labor involved in building a, in a single family house. And the problem there is that they're politically powerful. So they have had their way and, and kids just don't get imported to Hawaii. But if you had prefabricated, if you had technology, if you had, uh, you know, houses that get printed up, you know, by, 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 by printing machines, um, it would be a lot cheaper. And uh, a lot of that is labor. So why can't the government uh, incentivize tax credits, what have you, um, that kind of uh, housing construction? Well, I, I certainly believe that um, you call them uh, prefab kits. Well, uh, why don't you have a prefab uh, factory in Cologne, in Honolulu that uh, produces you know, what I could call a mobile home or a prefabricated components for for a uh, stick-built house. You know, your, um, <clears throat> you know, the um, advantage of building in a factory is a lot less in Hawaii than it would be in a place where the weather's not as good. Um, and, um, you know, cause you can work outside whether it's raining or not, but you can't work outside in 30 or 40 degrees below zero. Um, <clears throat> but, um, if you took a, a simple example, um, of a, uh, a mobile home that's uh, pretty common in size because that's what you can ship down a highway, 14 feet wide. And if you just take 58 feet long, you got about a 750 square foot uh, mobile home that there are zillions of excellent floor plans. With no, most all of them are two bedroom units of that exact module. And if you took a factory in Ohio or Pennsylvania or, or Michigan, you can produce one of those for about $50,000. Now, in uh, you know, that's U.S. dollars. In Canada, they build a bunch of restrictions in, whether you call it union or whatever, uh, but certainly they won't let that that mobile home roll across the U.S.-Canadian border. You know, they, you know you'd have to build it in Canada and, and then build in a bunch of other things, so you're lucky if you can do it for 100 grand in Canadian dollars, which would be about 75 U.S. So it seems to me, just focusing on that possibility of prefabricated and, uh, you know, mobile homes, we could alleviate a lot of of uh, the housing problem because we can build it cheaper if we don't over-regulate it. Uh, if we, you know, make it more of a free market, we, we uh, let it cross the border, we, we don't impose, um, you know, uh, all those obstacles. And um, and we could build a lot more of them at the fifty thousand dollar range, and then we could give tax breaks on the fifty thousand dollars. We could put everybody in a home that way, right? Well, if you picked Honolulu as as an example, and and you <clears throat> um, built a, a subway station or a, a train, uh, like a subway or or an on surface uh, electric railroad. Um, and you picked somewhere on Oahu where you could buy a bunch of land. The government could buy it or already own it. You know, you could take one of the military bases and throw out military and say, we want to use all this land 
for inexpensive housing. You know, now if you've got the infrastructure where you've got, you know, water, sanitary, sewer, storm sewer, and a transportation to wherever the jobs are, you know, you can't put them put them way out in the boonies for a low income person if they got a you know, commute for two hours to a job. Well, you have to put in the money for that infrastructure, which isn't cheap and requires the government to actually shell out big bucks to make it possible to have the prefabricated or mobile home. But I want to get to one other thing before we run out of time, Ken. It's it's this. It's the uh, Charles Dickens, um, you know, uh, future. Um, You you spoke before uh, initially about how we have been printing money, both U.S. and Canada and other Western countries. Um, And this ultimately leads to the housing crisis. Um, And the housing crisis, you know, at least in large part, leads leads to the homeless um, crisis, which has taken place in relatively recent years. (laughs) Suppose I reverse that. Suppose I say we're not going to print money. We're going to be really conservative. Um, We are going to stop that we're going to can treat that as an abuse we're going to stop that you've been listening to kevin to... you've been listening to kevin mccarthy and his uh, and his idiots i i'm sorry i i, I don't want to i don't want to sound like him at all but <laughs> yeah but if you got conservative about it and i'm not suggesting this as a solution i'm merely asking the effect of it right <laughs> so if if I get conservative and I say we're going to reverse all those processes well, you were talking about that led to this thing in the first place, you know, the national and, say, provincial and state processes that throw 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 money uh, around and print money, um, you know, that, that could be a reversal of the problem and and over time lead to a better, a better, you know, situation. But at the same time, you know, at the end of the day, this is all about money. And suppose the legislature, in addition or an alternative, spent a lot of money on that infrastructure. They built the projects you were talking about. They incentivized construction. Um, you know, they, they, they saw this as a, a true crisis and did everything within their power to alleviate it. On the thought that if we, if we let this go on and let the numbers get worse and worse and worse, it's going to destabilize our cities. It's, it's going to create a problem for public safety, for public health. We have really got to stop this process and whatever it takes. So we're going to take the money and put it on that instead. We're not going to hold back. <clears throat> um, if we do that, and this is my big question to you, if we do that, what effect does it have on other parts of the economy, on other parts of fiscal stability? Um, doesn't it have negative effects in some other way? At the end of the day, it is kind of a zero-sum game, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> well, the inflation, as has been occurring, is really key to the increase in income inequality. You know, and it's the income inequality that, in my mind, is causes the social unrest. You know, in virtually every city in Canada, you know, they, there's not a a housing crisis that is in any way similar to Toronto or Vancouver. You know that 
that, you know, that there's no housing crisis in Kelowna if you eliminate the homelessness problem. You know, that that you have people striving, but but really uh, your question, if you took economically and said, if we're going to have deflation, you know, in deflation, you're going to have the value of assets, such as a house, a condo, gradually goes down in value, you know, 1% a year or something, and in theory. And, you know, that holding cash is is better. Well, that didn't work in Japan. You know, it didn't work like Tokyo, you know, is, you know, got a housing crisis. It's not unlike New York or Vancouver or Philadelphia or, you know, any really big city where, you know, the there's not no empty land anywhere near the middle of the city and and the solution like Vancouver has a great solution for some of their housing where as they've extended their their um, railway system or their train system for local commuting you know they have required that uh, they will not build a a line and a station unless the local area allows for a phenomenal increase in density well you know vancouver has been a phenomenal success in that regard there are zillions of housing units in quantity have been built they just you know cost more than most people can deal with you know but your um, canada is very heavy on immigration and most of the people that immigrate to the areas of Canada that I'm most familiar with, uh, they don't have a great problem because what happens is they get two families move in together in a, in an accommodation that uh, that no North American thinks is appropriate for for me or my children. You know that uh, the you know you've got tons of uh, people in in the area around me that have been phenomenally successful, especially um, um, Sikhs from the um, uh, portions of uh, uh, near the border of India and Pakistan, the big states in there that are, uh, you know, heavily populated with people with agricultural talent, they moved to our area. And, uh, you know, uh, 10 years later, they're, they're able to buy, you know, huge orchards and and wineries, and uh, because they are willing, as as people, to um, solve the housing housing problem themselves by just having, you know, twenty people living in a three bedroom house. Well, so you're all sacrificed by the immigrant sort of thing. Um, you know, a a very uh, strong willed uh, approach to dealing with a new a new country. But uh, you know, for, for a lot of other people. Um, as time goes by, the white picket fence dream disappears. Uh, as time goes by, they can't afford to buy a house, and and they also can't afford to pay the rent. And as we move forward, I would say we're going to see really draconian things happen in the next, what, 10 or 15 years, where more and more people are uh, in the crisis. So <clears throat> query... Well, it's not so much a crisis as a... As a um loss of hope 
or yes. the income inequality is, uh, you know, what what was yours and my dream when we came out of college? And what was the same for every baby boomer that came along? That uh, tomorrow would be a brighter day than today and the day after would be better still. And boy, can I look for a rosy future. And, you know, some 25 or 35 year old now, um, you know, they don't have that nice cozy feeling and and the housing is a big part of it but uh but also the inequality in job income is is so dramatic um, so these things are all connected in the sense that um you talk about a lack of uh, vision a lack of optimism for the future and th that goes with that a lack of confidence in the in the government the system the community who you know they have hoped uh, would would care for them and isn't caring for them. And I suggest to you that, um, you know, if I were a legislator or you were a legislator, we would see this as a threat, um, you know, to the future. And not only for the individual or the community, you know, but even to uh, other cities that don't have these problems right now, they may have them later. And so uh, we really have to do something about it. It is, um, it is existential, and I don't know what that is exactly, but uh, somebody has to roll up their coat sleeves, shirt sleeves, if well, they have certainly, sleeves. It's certainly not, you know, the American Congress setting the example. They're doing exactly the opposite. When the when the new House of um, or Congress, uh, the very first thing they do is um, is eliminate the Ethics Committee. You know, and then they stick a bunch of these uh, yin yangs that committed uh, frauds to do with the election and and contributed to the January sixth mess two years ago, uh, and they're just trying to cover their own butt. But uh, but you know, certainly they don't provide an example that uh, that anybody else should uh, think you know sets a high standard. Yeah, the message is clear. They don't care about helping the people. They're uh, theoretical. Or any ethics whatsoever. Or any ethics whatsoever. They're in it for their own benefit, and that's a corruption. And the problem is that the people out there, millions of them, uh, see this. They understand that uh, they're not on the list of priorities. Uh, who knows how far down that list they may be. Um, and they lose confidence in the government and ultimately the you know, the, the government is at risk, um, as in Brazil, uh, as on January 6th. And so, uh, you know, to me, the confidence question is critical. Uh, public confidence, George Washington said it, that's the first order of business. And if, and if we have people on the street homeless, if we have people who can never see uh, a, a reasonable, um, you know, life ahead of them in this country, we have a lack of confidence, no? And so if we were going to list the priorities here, the one thing that we could do, which should be very close to the top of the list, is provide housing. Yeah, well, you've got to provide um, a better future for people. That's what they're after. I mean, why do people, you know, why are the Venezuelans knocking at the uh, southern border to the U.S. or or people from Haiti? They want a better future for their kids as well as themselves. 
um, you know, where, you know, to me, a lot of the stupidity of the American public is because they don't see a better future. You know, the, the government's not doing it for them. Maybe between now and the next time we get together, we'll find at least, uh, you know, some uh, clever, innovative uh, possibility to suggest to them. Uh, in the meantime, uh, thank you very much for joining me today. This was a very interesting discussion. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.